Thank God it's Friday and you're listening to TGIF, the horror movie podcast that brings you all the casual conversations about your favourite or not so favourite horror movies with your host, me, Kat. This week I'm joined by writer and podcast host for the Aussie Gamers Experience, Pat. How are you going? Welcome to the show. I'm going well, thank you very much. This is what I get for trying to record on a Wednesday. Is it Wednesday or Thursday? It's Wednesday. I have to think then. (laughs) Jesus. It's been happening to me too often lately. Um, so tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, no worries. So like you said, I'm host of the Aussie Gamers Experience podcast. Uh, we've been, well, I've been part of it for, oh gosh, five, six years now. Wow. That, um, that we've been going along. We've just recorded episode 329, I believe. Jesus, congratulations. Uh, Thank you very much. Uh, kind of the numbers kind of blend all together after a while, um, <laughs> but yeah, it's um, yeah. So we're we're just sort of a, a gaming news, what we're playing, and and general chit chat um, stuff. Also, like to write reviews and uh, opinion pieces, things like that. And just started to dip my my toes into a bit more creative writing. Yeah, which I have read. So you have I've been very lucky. Yes, it's the uh, the only one so far that I've released to let people read. So not many have read it. <laughs> well, more should because it was uh, it was great. Well, thank you. Super stoked. So um, you've chosen The Exorcist. Now, before we get into this, you are also the person that got me watching The Exorcist television show. Um, yes. I loved the first season. It was great. Um, mm-hmm. It was really cool. I can't remember who the actress is that plays Reagan in that. Um, she's got such a, remember- a memorable face. Um, yeah, I, I can't remember her name, no. No, doesn't matter. Well, it does, but not right now. Um, yep. But the second season just went, I got two episodes in and I was like, where is this going? Yeah, I I was a bit the same. Yeah. I, think I, got, I think I got two episodes in as well and just sort of went, eh, it kind of lost it. And I don't think they've come back for a third. No, I, didn't I don't get, think, I don't they're think they're going to. Yeah. Because yeah. um, when they were doing the whole um, exorcism of the week with the two mm-hmm. priests, I was like, I love that because I can I can maintain focus with that. But the the house with all the foster kids and stuff, that totally uh, forgettable. Yes, which is really yeah. Sad. It was um, it's it's a very hard like the there's been a lot of things out there in the world that's that's revolved around you know exorcist or exorcisms or and you know that whole uh, horrific side of the Catholic faith so to speak, but um, there's there's a very small amount that have done it right, mm. and it's it's I think it's very it's something that's well you've got the exorcist that we're talking about tonight, you know, made in 73, that's still classified as the scariest movie of all time. Yeah. That's... And then, like, I love a good exorcism movie. It's um, probably up there as my favourite subgenre of horror films. Uh, there's The mm. Exorcism of Emily Rose. Um, I just watched one recently, The Cleansing Hour. That's on Shudder. It's um, an indie film. It's really cool. Yep. And, oh, gosh, there's just... There's heaps where you're like, okay, yes. Oh, um, the entire Constantine, like, 
universe. The world, the entire world that it's all in. Yeah, <laughs> it's uh, it's it's the only sort of genre of horror that that really gets me. You know, gets that fear factor, that actual fight or flight sort of senses that kick off in your head. It's it's the only version of of horror that actually does that for me. So, anytime there's a good one, uh, I really enjoy watching it. Yeah, I um, as a non-religious person, I have a really weird obsession with religious symbology and iconography when it comes to horror mm-hmm. films. Uh, I don't know why. I think it's because I treat it the same as I would folklore or um, like mythology or even yep. like your monster movies that have heaps of history behind them. <clears throat> so I think it's just really incredibly interesting and has so much history behind it and potential for just, you know, massive um, extent of different types of movies. Yeah, well, it's it's that whole essence of unknown, I guess. And that's where, you know, mythology... Uh, you've got that many different, you know, I'm I'm not an overly religious person. I was brought up religious, but it's, you know, as you get older and other things sort of come in, into account. Uh, but it's, you, you don't really know. And there's so much, so much history and so many things have gone on in the world and so many stories that it's like, okay, well, this actually looks quite frightening. Something that's, you can't see, you can't fight against yourself you know, coming and getting you. It's uh it's a it's a bit of a bit of a scary thought, really. <laughs> yeah, it's on par with supernatural horror films for me because yes. supernatural horror films are definitely the ones that really get me and I've grown a deeper appreciation through the podcast for those films, which I am incredibly grateful for. And yeah, The Exorcist isn't necessarily scary for me watching it now as an adult when I was younger and watched it it was terrifying but I really appreciate it for the piece of cinema that it is and you know it's mm-hmm. going on almost what 50 years since it was yeah, released. Be coming up to yeah yeah coming up to 50 years old yeah yeah which is just really friggin cool that after all this time it still holds up to be you know that scariest horror film ever made yep and it's Funnily enough, for me, I am still frightened by it. Um, I possibly scarred myself as a as a young person, <laughs> and uh, yeah, to to the point now where I I know it, I know it word for word. I've owned it on VHS, DVD. I've now got it on Blu-ray, you know, and I've watched it a stupid amount of times. I've watched all three of them, or four of them now, I should say. Uh, a stupid amount of times and it's just one of those things that every time you watch it you kind of forget or I, I kind of forget about little things that happen in the background and you know so it's not just the story and plus I always sit there with the aircon on everything dark <laughs> and surround sound system on so I've got stuff you know whispering behind me and, oh no thanks yeah that's I, I go pull out if I'm going to watch the exorcist because i like that it scares me i will go full out for it nice i like the way you do it yeah. um, <laughs> so let's dive in quick intro to the film so the exorcist is a 1973 american super supernatural horror film directed by william freakin and produced and written for the screen by william peter blatty uh which is the novel um that he wrote by the same title 
Uh, the film stars Ellen Burstyn, Max von Sydow, Lee J. Cobb, Kitty Wynn, Jack Mc... Mc- why can't I say this? Because it's Mc- McGowan, not McGowan. <laughs> and I'm like, that yep. just that doesn't come out of my mouth. That those <laughs> syllables. <laughs> uh, Jason Miller and Linda Blair. So the movie had a budget of 12 million US and grossed 441 million globally. Upon its wow. initial theatrical release, the film affected many audiences so strongly that at many theaters, paramedics were called to treat people who fainted and others who went into hysterics. <laughs> So it's got quite a bit of a history to it. Yes. My mum walked out of it. Just she, wasn't uh, having it? She, she went there with my father and um, a, a, another couple of friends who are now my auntie and uncle, funnily enough. <laughs> and um, there, uh, her and my uncle left and my dad and my auntie stayed and watched it. Yeah, they were like, hell yeah, so, I'm staying to watch this. Yeah, I'm, I'm staying here and watching this. And they went and watched, I don't know, probably Sound of Music or something. I don't know. Some weird, happy, lovey <laughs> well, thing. Well, Alien My mom was out around the same time. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's not. She wouldn't have done that. <laughs> <laughs> my dad's not a horror movie person either. And I just my oh. mum. So I really don't know, like, why I turned out the way that I did. Mm. My mum questions it quite often. It's just something <laughs> wrong with you. Probably. My dad will say, like, oh, I could say that you're not mine, but I look too, you look too much like me. And I'm like, yeah, you cannot deny that I am yours. Exactly. <laughs> so for the opening scene, uh, we meet Father Marin, who is on site at an archaeological dig in Hatra, Iraq. Um, so he's digging in this kind of, um, it's like sandstone, isn't it? And he's... Yeah, so it's a, a part of the uh, northern Iraqi desert, and yeah. Father um, Father Merrin's a uh, an archaeologist who looks after religious relics and yeah, whatnot. Because... So he he's overseeing the dig of I think it was a a, a church, like a an unfound church. Yeah, I didn't. Um, I tried to look into what it was because um, he finds this small green stone amulet which um is actually in the figure of a mesopotamian devil named pazuzu now they don't name this demon throughout this entire film but there's a lot of different things that always point back to pazuzu mm-hmm. so back in the curator's office Marin um he has his amulet with him and he is told um evil against evil and you know there's a, a swinging pendulum of the clock that stops and uh, basically the curator says, Hey, don't leave. I want you to stay. Blah, blah, blah. Marin says, there's something I must do. So he haphazardly runs through a, like through a marketplace to get to another, he gets in his Jeep and he's at a, um, another dig site, I think. Mm Mm-hmm. I'm not too sure. We don't really know what's happening in this scene. It's very chaos. Um, And it is another stone statue of Pazuzu. Um, Yeah, so uh, the second one he finds is a full-size statue. Yeah. That's quite troubling. um, uh, Is that part, we get part of the flashback of when he was younger? Yes, yeah. Yes. Fighting um, with the with the demon i think yeah or, so the yeah. when when he found like 
he had a, a run-in with the demon previously. Yes, because what we don't know is that Father Merrin had actually exercised a young boy in an African village who was possessed mm-hmm. by Pazuzu. Yes. Yeah. Uh, one thing about Pazuzu that is really important to note is that he is depicted as a combination of animal and human parts with his right hand always pointing upwards and his left hand downwards. He has the body of a man, but usually a head of a lion or dog. He has eagle-like talon feet, two pairs of wings, a scorpion's tail, and a serpentine penis. So, um, yeah, that's Pazuzu. <laughs> yes. Funnily enough, there's a there's a whole there's a, there's a whole thing to go in about Pazuzu and, and in regards to um, you know the law behind him, but it's probably a lot more to dive in now. Uh, yeah, I'm but, absolutely scratching the surface. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it, it's a it's a big thing. Once you start looking into it and looking into the correlation with Ouija boards, which which comes up a little later on, uh, it very much ties in together. But uh, yeah, the next bit is we go back to Georgetown. Yeah, where um, what was her name? Chris. Chris. Chris McNeil. Yep. She's shooting a movie. A movie about. Uh, coming around protesting or something. I'm not too sure what the movie's about. I've watched this movie so many times and I still can't yeah. figure out what the movie's about. Yeah, but uh, yeah. we find out some, some stuff about Chris, uh, find out about her, her friend, uh, associate director, uh, Burke, Burke Dennings. Burke Dennings. <laughs> uh, and we also find out about, uh, I think this is our first introduction to Reagan as well. Yeah, who is played by the incredibly young at the time, Linda Blair, which is really yes. fantastic. We'll talk about her her performance throughout the film. Uh, one thing that I found really insane, because I was listening to this whole 20 facts you didn't know about The Exorcist, mm-hmm. and Linda Blair actually had bodyguards protecting her for six months after the filming of, well, after the release of The yes. Exorcist. Because yeah. she was getting death threats from religious zealots who basically said, you glorified Satan in this yeah. film. Yeah, and there's there's obviously some uh, blas- blasphemy-type material yes. that, that comes about later on, and they're all really... Like, it just It just kind of shows you just how, like, that in itself shows you how much of an effect that this movie had at the time. Yeah, absolutely. Because there was there was nothing previously like this. It yeah, was just is, over the top. Yeah. It was really funny because uh, I'm not sure if it was Warner Brothers or another team attached to the film did a um, they did a survey or like a focus group, and they discovered that majority of the respondents had no idea what an exorcism was. Mm-hmm. And so they just would have friggin' rocked up to watch this movie and just been like, "Oh shit." Oh, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> especially oh, all the noises. No. Um, so while we're meeting Chris and uh, Reagan, we find out that they have um, they have two housekeepers, her personal assistant, Sharon, and we don't see or hear from Reagan's father throughout the whole film. He's pretty much um, just not around. Yeah, we don't, we don't really find out anything why or or where he is. That's just that they're sort of separated. So um, Reagan and her mother pretty much travel around for the, um, for the movie roles. Yeah. 
So during this time, there's some strange things going on in the house. They they hear um, scratching in the roof, and there's that scene where uh, they send one of their housekeepers up into the roof, and I'm fully expecting something to jump at it and it's in his face. Thank God it didn't happen because it might have been a rat and that just would have ended my life. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, and then on one night, there's an occasion where Reagan basically goes into Chris's room because she can't sleep because her bed is shaking. Yes. So we're seeing like this kind of like um, Chris at home with her daughter, but then Chris at work. So while Chris is at work, one day on set, she notices that there's a man watching her. And we find out that it's actually Damien Karras, who is one of the local priests in a parish nearby the film set. I don't mm-hmm. know why at this point Karras is really watching her, because he doesn't really have a connection to her at this point in time. Maybe he's just hanging around. Yeah, um, he was a friend of um, one of Chris's... Chris has got a friend who's a father, like who's a priest as well. Yeah, Father Dyer. And yeah, that's the one. And those two are, are mates, so to speak. Oh, okay. So he's just like, I'm so going to go I check out they're... this film set. Yeah, I think there's something along those lines. Yeah, because we don't find out until later that Karis is a friend of Father Dyer's. So it's just like, why is Karis just creeping around the film set? Oh, it's a priest. He's got the, he's got the <laughs> white collar. That's he can the, be wherever he wants. Yeah, he's got the he's got the get out of jail card. It's all right. Just <laughs> yeah. go straight in there. <laughs> so we find out that Karis has a background in psychology. He works at a local church, and he is a little conflicted because he feels like he's losing his faith um, as he is watching his mother deteriorate quite dramatically. So mm-hmm. he's living with a lot of guilt, dealing with his mother's um, basically his mother becoming incredibly ill. Um, so during this, during the filming, um, it obviously caused an incredible spike of people fearing that they were possessed themselves. And freaking said that, um, the actor, Jason Miller, who played, uh, Father Karras would often be approached by people in public, uh, basically seeking to have their own exorcism. Wow. <laughs> and just be like, hey, look, I know you're really busy right now and you're, yeah. You're a priest in that movie, so <laughs> Yeah. Just just give me an old just just give me an old holy father or something and Yeah. Let me move what on. What would you even say if you're not a priest? You'd be like, oh, oh wow. Um... Well, if they've already gone that far, you'd probably just do it just to get them to go away, <laughs> wouldn't you? <laughs> <laughs> just go, yeah, sure no. Uh, right, yeah. here's your right of exorcism, let's go. <laughs> let's get it done. Oh, I'd love to be an exorcist. That'd be so badass. No? No. no. <laughs> Your face straight away was no. no. <laughs> First time a head spins on me, I'm out. See us. I'm done. It'd be, the, it'd be the vomit for me. Oh, the, the vomit I can take. The uh, the head spinning around. No. No. Be like, <laughs> it'd just be like, it'd be like scary movie, yeah? So yeah, done. Oh, I love scary movies. I'm so glad you mentioned scary movies because I love scary movies so much. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, one night we discover that Reagan has been playing with a Ouija board down in her basement and has basically made a friend with someone called Mr. Howdy. Captain Howdy. (laughs) 
Oh, Captain Howdy. That's right. Captain Why Howdy. Mr. Howdy. Oh. Uh, when I read that, Captain, I was like, that when, sounds wrong. <laughs> when you find out, like, th- this is probably one of those one of those parts where you just sort of, you figure out of um, Linda Blair's acting chops because the way that she describes Captain Howdy is adorable. Yeah. It is, it is like a kid would be explaining their new friend or their imaginary yeah. friend or, or anything. It's just, it's really well done. And you sort of, sort of go, oh, yeah, you know, we now know, you know, and there's a bit of a, a stigma, I suppose, around Ouija boards. And um, so you sort of know that it's a bad thing. But back then it's like, oh, yeah, it's just an imaginary friend. Well, it was Should packaged right. and marketed as a toy. Yeah. By Has- still was can- it Hasbro? Hasbro. Hasbro still owned yeah. the rights to the Ouija name. No, fuck no. I'm not even allowed <laughs> to have one in my house. My grandmother has told me specifically that I am not allowed to buy one and bring it into the house. <laughs> Done it once, never again. Oh, did you have a bad experience? I wouldn't go straight to bad, but frightening. Okay, what happened? Yeah. Now I need to know. <laughs> uh, it was just it was just one of those things where um, I was with uh, my cousins who are both older than me. I think one of them, oh, they're about both of them between between twelve months and and two years older than me. So not too much, but um, yeah, as teenagers playing around and one of them she's asked a, a question and the thing went flying off the board and smashed into the wall uh, yeah, no. and uh, that was kind of everyone freaked out including me and just went no nah, we're done they closed it up and see you later yeah my family is so vehemently against them like I haven't even had the opportunity Good. to have Good. one in my house <laughs> Uh, my grandma was a member of the spiritualist church and so it's just a big no in our house like anything to contact i have tarot cards and that's about as far as it goes with mysticism (laughs) um being allowed in this house so yeah i should i should bring her i should i should bring my cousin and ask her that's why i'm so screwed up (laughs) could be could be could be why i'm so twisted i'm like do you remember when we did this is he, the amount of stuff like we're like my my oldest cousin is about two years old. We're really close, and there's been a couple of times where I've rung her and I've just gone, "What the hell is going on?" She's like, "How did you know? What are you talking about?" She's like, oh, oh like such and such. Sense it. Yeah, yeah, and it's so uh, it might awesome. just be one of those things where I'm like, "What did you do to me?" Because, <laughs> why am I the on? twisted one watching horror movies all the time? Yeah, my sister and I are very much like that. Like, she'll call me just as I'm about to text her and I'll just be like, no, no, I was nope. just messaging you. <laughs> yep. <laughs> it's just like some weird sixth sense we have with people. Exactly. It's ESP? ESP? Yes. Yeah. ESP? Yeah. For ages I thought it was ESPN because in Mean Girls, Karen's like, oh, I yeah. think it's ESPN. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yes, I know. I shouldn't take uh, it so literally. <laughs> that's all right. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, the Ouija board. What is What happens here is that Reagan also has some carved out little animals that are in on the table with her in this scene, which also allude oh, to yeah. Zuzu. Yeah, she has yes. these two little animals. So throughout the film, you'll see a lot of different animals. Um, there's another scene I'll bring up. 
Um, and uh, between this scene and I think and like the party scene, the church, local church is desecrated mm-hmm. and animals are left at the scene of the desecration. Yes. So there's like lots of different links that are made to Pazuzu without naming Pazuzu. Mm-hmm. Like it's he all, doesn't all to... name himself. Yeah, exactly. And yeah. just, well, to get to get right off the, the bat with it, there's a, um, a religious thing that you should never speak their name okay. because it gives them if if you're speaking the, if if you speak their name but you're not in a position of um you know like you, you're not holy or whatever is yeah. you're giving them power to okay. come into this world so that's that's one theory that I sort of always thought we know who it is and yeah. but it's not actually spoken throughout the film is that why priests will usually ask a demon to identify themselves? Yes. Okay, that makes a lot because of once, that makes because sense. Because once they can once they can talk directly, and it's it's like, um, well, I suppose it's like anything when you when you're speaking to someone that you don't really know, and it's like mate or you know whatever. It's not really that personal connection, but if you've got a name and you can speak to them with a name, it's yeah. you've got a bit of a bit more of a personal connection, and it's the the priesthood sort of use it as a um, uh, a power thing. If you know their name, you can demand them to do things. Ah, I learn something new every day. I love that. Mm. This is what happens um, when you go down rabbit holes. <laughs> I need to go on more, I think. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so unfortunately, Father Karras's mother does end up in a hospital. She's quite sick and she does pass away. And this is really important to Father Karras's development throughout the film. It is only just a tiny little fleeting scene, um, but it really contributes to a lot of torment that he goes through with the rest of the film. Uh, One of the things that really upset me about this is that um, Friedkin actually filmed inside of a mental, like a psychiatric hospital for this scene, Mm -hmm. and he hid cameras. So a lot of the women who are in that scene where Father Karras is walking through the hospital are like psychiatric patients. And I'm just like... That's so unethical. <laughs> but it's it is now. Yeah. <laughs> no, 1973, it was cheap. Yeah. Yeah, I unfortunately. Like, I was like, that sucks. Yeah. I didn't like finding out that bit of information. So now you all have to deal with it. <laughs> <laughs> so one night, Chris throws this big fancy party at her home and there's lots of fancy, affluent guests at the party. Um, Chris is basically talking to Father Dyer about Karis because she said, oh, you know, I, I saw him on the set. And he's like, oh, yeah, he's on. Or is it Father Dyer or another? Because there's, there's like six priests. No, it's Father Dyer. Uh, it is Father Dyer, yeah. Because <laughs> he's the one that rocks up at really random times and you're like, what do you think? Yes. How did you get here? Uh, and basically Father Dyer says look Karis is cool but he's just really intense Um, there's a scuffle between a guest and Burke Dennings and Burke ends up being choked Um, and I just I threw this in because I love afterwards he's like coughing and he's like what's the dessert (laughs) I was just like oh you're going to make a joke before this all goes to the shithouse I'm glad thank you Uh, I got. I got to admit, right from the word go, I'm not a fan of Burke. Oh, uh, he's the creepiest dude ever. Ah, uh, 
he's yeah, he's not right. But I get. Oh no, I don't get why he's in there. He could have just. But I like that he's not a central character. He's literally just the mum's love interest. Yes. It's just like yeah, he's eh. just just a bit of cannon fodder. Yeah, it's great. Mm. I was just yeah, like, normally but... they do that with women. Yeah, well, especially what uh, what happens to him, but it's it's good that they sort of have it in there that he's just this he's this weird, creepy character that you know everyone knows who it is. Yeah, everyone's but, like that's um, Burke Dennings. And yes, just, exactly. And the funny thing is that he is this famous director, and it's just like oh, so mm. that's such a reflection of the film industry. <laughs> <laughs> now, I don't know if Friedkin wanted him to be, like, a creepy dude, but, like, in 2021, he's definitely a creepy dude. Exactly. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> That's not to say his performance isn't shithouse or anything. Like, he di- he went in, he did what he had to do. Yep. And he did it well. And let's yeah. face it, yeah. F- you know, 50 years later, we still remember that performance. We so still remember who he is. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so the the next big thing with uh, Reagan coming downstairs once they're all having singing a party the, and singing at the piano. I don't know. Yep. I can't remember what they're singing. I literally wrote in brackets: "Rich people do the weirdest things." Oh, uh, <laughs> all, all I every time I think about it, even when I'm watching the movie, like I don't know what it is because all I hear is what they're singing in Scary Movie. Oh. yeah. But shake your ass. <laughs> shake your ass, watch yourself. <laughs> and it doesn't matter. I'm watching this movie for <laughs> and that's all I hear. That's so good. I wish oh I for, now I'm gonna rewatch this movie just so I have that scene. Yeah. Have that in your head. Just yeah. just picture that. Yeah. It just makes it so much better. <laughs> but it's just like this is cute, but also weird. Yep. Because I get that they're drunk, but it's like, don't you have karaoke in 1973? Well, that's what they were doing. They were just around the piano. piano? That's weird. Who knows? It's it's upstate New York. It's (laughs) one of those things. (laughs) But uh, I love love Reagan's Reagan's response to it is it's just, uh, you know, very chilling and completely out of it. Uh, you're you're going to die up there. Oh, that creeps me out. Yeah, and she just is um, actually an astronaut. Yes, yes. And so the way she says it, though, it's just like no, nothing. Just it's just deadpan. It's just flat out. There, there's nothing behind it, and then she urinates on the floor. Yeah, brilliant. Just. No ideas. And then a mum grabs her head. She's for like forever. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Mother rubs her nose in it, hits her with a paper. Oh, God. It's so, <laughs> this is really. Um, and the thing is that Reagan hasn't started to physically change at this point. So a lot of people are like, oh, she's just mentally ill. She's yes. Just, she's sick. Um, there's something wrong with her brain. And I like that they kind of try to plant this seed of doubt in, you know, the film's called The Exorcist, so we know what's going to happen. But Mm -hmm. they're doing a really fantastic job of planting these seeds of doubt throughout the whole film. It's a very slow burn to begin with. It's, um, you know, where what's what's going on here? Where's it coming from? You know, you can, 
up until this point, we've heard noises, we've heard knocking, and, you know, it looks as though Reagan is the uh, is the culprit. She's the one that's, yeah. you know, mentally ill, and this has just been, um, well, I suppose, proven. Because don't they actually sedate her? One of the uh, a, one of the guests is a doctor. Yeah. yeah. Oh, actually, I'm not too sure. I think one I of the I, I think one of the guests is actually a doctor, and it helps sedate her. To her. Bed. Yeah. Yeah. Well, they put her to bed. Yeah. Because she um she wakes up later that night. Um. Well, Chris wakes up to this m- massive noise coming out of Reagan's bedroom, and she goes in and yeah. finds that Reagan's bed is like shaking all around the place it's levitating and um like reagan is like holding on for dear life and um and you know chris jumps on there while the bed is floating in the air and the actress ellen ellen i want to say ellen ellen yes actually sustained um like lifelong back injuries from Mm. this scene which I, i don't doubt that for a second because it's quite intense. Yeah, very much so. Yeah. This scares me. This kind of stuff scares me. <laughs> like the actual possession, I'm like, oh, it's here. That's fine. I can see it. <laughs> yep. But not knowing what's happening and the the fact that you, they've walked into the room and all, all hell is breaking loose and you've got a child. Was she convulsing at that time as well where she's doing the – or is that later on? Am I jumping ahead? Where she can't control. No, that's the she's next. Up and, that's yeah. the next. Okay. Yeah. The next incident. <laughs> yep. But yeah, it is um quite. It does get really violent through, out the whole film. Yeah. Like um obviously as the possession is manifesting physically in Reagan, and you know we've seen all of this manifestation outside of Reagan. So that's why we've got these seeds of doubt in this whole. Well, maybe she's just sick. So Chris does take her to see medical professionals hoping that they'll be able to find something um so medical professionals have basically described um the scene where reagan has an angiogram i think it is where they put it in your neck um because you know how they put the um the needle into her neck and all the blood spurts out oh yep yep yeah and so medical professionals have basically said this is the most realistic depiction of this particular um, procedure. And, yeah, and it is also the, described as the most realistic depiction of a medical procedure in a popular film. Friedkin said in a tw- 2012 commentary on the DVD release of the 2000 cut that the scene was used as a training film for radiologists for years afterwards. Oh, wow. Because I did not know that. So. that like realistic and I was yeah. just like they used a horror movie for radiologists that is insane <laughs> but it's pretty cool minus the blood <laughs> spurting out everywhere yeah that's that's the least of our worries for where this is going oh very true <laughs> <laughs> but all of all of them come back with the same diagnosis don't they that physically she's fine yeah um, well they thought she had a legion a legion a legion a legion on her brain so yeah. yeah, they do put her through a lot of tests. Hmm. And no, that's the second one. She gets <laughs> hypnotized. So I, when, when oh, I yeah. when, when, <laughs> when I said I watched, <laughs> I went and watched it the other night. I I watched 
I watch two in one sitting and then I don't have three anymore. And then I watch number four as well. So nice. Sort of, you had a sort little of marathon. Back. I did. Uh, so a, a couple of the scenes are a bit hazy. But, uh, yeah. yeah, so they sedated her instead. Um, that's This is where they sedated her, yeah, after she's yeah. been to go and do everything that she's doing. Yeah, And then we back go home. back home. Yeah. Ooh. And um, basically this is where Chris thinks that she is having a seizure and they call um, two doctors to come over. I don't know why they yep. needed two, but that's fine. I'm just... It's double the bills. Second opinion. Yep. Double the bills. Um, and this is where Rick Reagan is sitting up, sitting, and she's like getting thrashed in this like this movement. It's just that's really full on and inhuman, to be honest. Mm. And I'm pretty sure that Linda actually hurt herself or was hurt by doing this scene as well. Yeah, there were quite a few injuries and mm. later on deaths, but cast members that were associated with the film but (laughs) um they try to sedate her Mm -hmm. at first and she keeps throwing them like around the room which i thought was just really cool because she's this tiny little girl a little little 12 year old throwing them around everywhere it's so cool but they they do eventually sedate her to a point her mother's got to go out on something to do with the film whether it be a shoot or something um, yeah her mum does leave yeah um, one and thing she that leaves I work to, there yeah one thing i did want to mention is that um the this is where we also start to hear the demon's voice come over the top of reagan's so it's still a dual voice we still do hear reagan and we do hear pazuzu start to like merge with her mm-hmm. um and the possessed voice of Reagan was performed by a radio actor star by the name of Mercedes McCambridge. So her radio acting skills combined with her voice um, further made Husky by insistence on drinking whiskey, chain smoking and swallowing raw eggs contributed to this terrifying performance. Disgusting. So apparently, yes. yeah, she, um, I think she actually she... fell off the wagon to do the role. She oh was so bad. She was sober beforehand, and because of the 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 harshness of the voice, she she fell off the wagon. So she was drinking again, but that wasn't the problem. Uh, the problem was that while she was in the sound booth doing the voiceover, she had to have two of her friends with her that were both priests that would hold on to her while she was doing the sound over of the voice. Oh wow! Yeah, that's crazy. So, I never knew that. Hmm. Yeah, I I only recently that. found out. Um, yeah, have, having a look for for us tonight, and just sort of this come up about the raw eggs and and the chain smoking and everything, and uh, yeah, that she actually she didn't mind that she got back on the drink, but yeah, the the priests were there that were part of her, like they helped her get off it originally, and yeah, it was still part of her support group, so that's what it was for. That's just so good. only in 1973. Yes. Um, It's at this point where the doctors mentioned to Chris that uh, basically Reagan needs to see a psychiatrist, but they also kind of bring up another possibility um, that she might be possessed and need the right of exorcism. So basically they say that they have known 
the exorcism to solve problems such as the one that Reagan seems to be experiencing. Of course, Chris is skeptical because she's not religious. And Mm -hmm. um, we kind of see that throughout their whole house. Like, I think there's one cross in the house, and I think everybody, religious or not, has one in their house somewhere. Or maybe just my house, (laughs) who are not religious, but recovering Mormons. Um, I've got got one. No, I do have one. See, you do have one. (laughs) Yeah. I do have one. Funnily enough, it's on a, it's on a, uh, it's on a necklace. Ah, but yeah. See, oh, well, we're not recovering Mormons. My grandma was kicked out of the church. Where she is excommunicated, I am not. <laughs> <laughs> I have nothing. Pro- I have no problems with Mormonism at all. Um. So, basically, yeah. Chris is out for the day, out for the night. She goes out. Uh, she comes home basically to find the entire house is empty and well, empty of adults and Reagan mm-hmm. is asleep upstairs. Her window's wide open. It's freezing cold. She has no blankets on. And when the personal assistant Sharon comes home, Chris is pissed. And basically Sharon says, hey, no, wait a second. Burke was here with Reagan when I left and I was only going to get some medication for her. Um, so... This is the the weird shit. So uh, the doorbell rings and Father Dyer's at the front door. Yep. Does he just hang around out the front of their house? Yeah, he might do. Just stars walking by. I saw the lights on. I'll come and say good day. That, that just would. If someone did that to me, that'd be weird. If someone did that at my <laughs> house, I'd be like, "What the fuck are you doing? Get out! Go away!" Oh, oh by the way, yeah. No, no, by the ways. <laughs> Um, so basically find out that Burke has just died on the steps outside Chris's house. Yeah, did a swan dive out of Reagan's window. Saw ya. Wouldn't want to be ya. Uh, so they, they originally see it as an accident though, because Burke is a heavy drinker. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, the police are investigating it. Yeah. So we meet Detective Kinderman who is incredibly sus about Burke's death, mm-hmm. but also is kind of like, could have been an accident. But yep. Chris and the entire house are just like, Burke's an alco. He, alcoholic, he threw himself out. Or he yeah. tripped out. Yeah, because the um, window was open, wasn't it? It wasn't smashed. It yeah. was just, yeah. Yeah, it was just open. Yep. So, yep. Um, yeah, Kinderman stops by, basically asks Chris questions about what happened that night. And when he leaves, there is a loud disturbance in Reagan's bedroom. Now, if anyone doesn't really want to listen to this scene, skip ahead like two minutes uh, because it's quite gruesome and a massive content warning for y'all. So Chris hears a deep male voice yelling at Reagan and saying to do it. Um, Reagan's screaming in um, complete disobedience, not disobedience, like no, I don't know what the word is, um, the word eludes me, um, saying that she won't do it. So Chris runs into the bedroom and finds Reagan thrusting a crucifix into her vagina. It's an incredibly violent scene. Uh, Chris is trying to stop her. Reagan's too strong. Chris just watches on in absolute terror because, you know, what is she, what am I meant to do? There's blood everywhere. Um, this scene is meant to be the, um, de-virginization of Reagan and the letting go of her innocence because um, I think in some religious context 
you a virgin needs to be depurified if possessed or there's something that I've read somewhere where um they need someone like an unclean body to be in um, yeah and it's it's kind of the uh the the turning point because I think it's the first time that we actually see a bit of a a manifestation in in Reagan's face as well yeah um, it's very when, distorted and twisted yeah yeah we first see it uh it twists and sort of snarl up uh, and you sort of lose that that innocent child sort of look to it. It's still, I'm just remembering it and getting a bit of goosebumps. This <laughs> scene is really awful. It's, it's very brutal as well. Yeah, this uh, is also a de-escalated version of what was in Blatty's book as well. Hmm. This is like a cleaned up version of it. And I was just thinking, I would not want to read the actual version of this at all. I I don't actually remember it. Because I've only read the book once. Yeah. And that would have been a long time ago now. But I've seen the movie that many times, so it kind of plays on each other. But um, I don't think I remember that bit. But the way the movie does it is is bad enough. And yeah. I think the the two thousand, you know, reversioning of it or reimagining of it, it was it was slightly longer, and there was a few more things in the background that was going on in regards to the demonic face and uh, the the demonic voiceover as well coming yeah. through. Because we do hear Burke's voice come through Reagan saying, do you know what she did, your cunting daughter? And this yep. is kind of where Chris realises that Reagan is responsible for Burke's death or has yes. something to do with it. Yeah. Which is, um, would be, you know, like, Chris would be desperate at this point. Do you realise you just dropped the C-bomb and here's yep. me going, I'm not going to go and say that, you know, what Reagan was saying as she was well, doing all she this. Said. Her head also twisted around. I'm just yeah, she's also... about it. <laughs> <laughs> there's there's also the whole bit that while she's you know um, injuring herself, let's say yeah. it's let Je- let Jesus fuck you. Yeah, is is this constant, and and that's one of the things too that's that's just a uh, it's it's a moment where you just sort of go Jesus, what, what's this is this whole movie has now turned. Yeah. I wonder if Linda Blair needed some psychiatric care after this scene. She needed lots in yeah. the, for, for years after doing this movie. Yeah. And unfortunately, it's sort of it, the, the movie, as, as good as it is, uh, it, it really kind of destroyed her, her chance of a, uh, a lot more of a career than she had. Yeah, I did read that it kind of just basically no knocked her out of a lot of things yeah uh and it it uh it's only been sort of recently in the last sort of 20 years that she's come to terms with it and i suppose as you know psychological help and people being more open to actually getting that help it's probably helped her a bit but um yeah it was from the few things that i've read about her her early sort of roles and and what she tried to do afterwards it was she didn't have a good time yeah, I can't imagine that she would. It's really um it's really horrible to know that because, you know, even at she was what, eleven or twelve when she did this? Um Yeah. 
incredibly talented, so talented. Mm. Um, yeah, I feel like this this role in 1973, I don't think they would have really taken much consideration into the fact that she was still a child. Yes. Um, she did have a very mature approach towards it when she was auditioning. Um, however, I just feel like they were like, okay, well, she acts mature, so that's it without really thinking about long-term effects that could, you know, yeah. be a consequence of the whole experience. Yeah, indeed. And like, like it, you know, the devil's in the details now as well, but and it's been done, but at least there's a bit more support, I suppose, out there now coming mm. from something like this. Uh, but, yeah, it's, um, from, this, from this moment, uh, Father Karras agrees to... To take up the case, yeah, uh, so to speak, to, um, investigate. <laughs> yes, to to investigate and agrees um, that it's a uh, it's a religious thing as well. But Karras uh, is a psychologist as well. Yeah, yeah. So he he sort of goes on that, and I believe it was this bit where Karras walks into the house, or and he's he's talking downstairs, and the I think it's one of the nannies comes and grabs him and takes him into Reagan's bedroom where he okay. walks in, you see the breath, like you see how cold it is in the room and she oh, lifts yeah. up the shirt and you can see help me come yeah, up and sort of like scar her on, on her, on her stomach. Yeah. It's so sad because when he does go into the, to the bedroom, um, he, um, he, sorry, we're confronted with the appearance of Reagan. Um, she's incredibly different. Like the transformation of this exorcism is really taking place. She's tied up on the headboard of her bed. Her face is swollen and bruised. She covered, she's covered in scars and cuts. And she's now speaking in a very deep voice. And she announces that she is the devil to Karis. And she speaks to him in all these different languages. And he's just not convinced. Yep. Even when even when she says your mother's in here with us and he says you know what's my mother's maiden name and instead of providing him with a response reagan projectile vomits all over karis uh, <laughs> which when i watched this uh i can't remember how old i was when my aunt showed me this movie um i didn't really see it as a horror film when i watched it i don't know why i thought when i was a kid horror had to be um lots of blood and guts and ghosts and that was what i found really scary i didn't find deep and disturbing scary at yeah. you know nine ten years old not yet this this um, was the second ever horror movie that i watched oh really <laughs> My aunt pri like prided herself in showing me really fucked up horror movies. Uh, <laughs> and so the only thing that really got me was the projectile vomit because I have vomit phobia. And so I remember watching oh, yeah. this and oh, like good. dry heaving as I'm watching it because I'm just like, oh no. <laughs> um, so Karis basically tells Chris he's not convinced that Reagan's possessed uh, and that she should get psychiatric help for Reagan. And um, basically, he Chris is you know begging him exercise my daughter because that thing in that bed is not my daughter. Mm -hmm. 
Karis leaves and Detective Kinderman comes and speaks to him about the desecration of the church and whether or not it could be connected to the death of Burke. What we didn't know at this point was that Burke's head was completely turned around backwards and that the police are actually investigating it as a homicide now, not an accident. Which is uh, yes. a little bit ominous, isn't it? Just, just a little bit. Um <laughs> Uh, Karis and Kinderman talk about, you know, um, the occult and sort of want to, want to get that side of it. And, uh, Kinderman, the cop is starting to suspect, uh, one of the, one of the housekeepers, isn't he? Yeah. They're thinking of breaking his neck and throwing him out the window. Cause he was saying a child can't do that. Yes. Yeah, hmm. so it's getting um. He's completely on the wrong track, but you know, I a for effort. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I know. Uh, <laughs> um, this is where Karis goes back to Reagan, and he actually starts to recall their conversations. He sprinkles her body in holy water, and she begins to writhe in pain while speaking another language. What I really love is that when Karis goes to tell Chris that it's going to be hard to make a case to the bishop. Because the water that he had sprinkled on Reagan was simply tap water. Yes. That <laughs> she thought was holy water. Yeah. Which kind of mm. goes to show, like, the extent of Pazuzu as a demon to basically play up to what Karis wants to see from him as a demon. Yes. Because he wants the child. Yeah, exactly. So he's going to do whatever yep. he can to keep the child. Mm. Yeah, so he records uh, he records Reagan talking what they think is another language, which sounds kind of Latin, but they find out she's actually speaking backwards. Yeah, she's speaking English backwards, and that's the point that Karis starts to believe that she's possessed. And I'm like, you didn't buy in until she spoke English backwards? Yeah. Don't worry about the projectile vomit. Yeah. yeah, don't worry about that. What the fuck? That just cracked me up. I was just like, what? But this is actually where um, the the PA calls Karis over and her stomach is carved. Yes, that's right. That's where he's just like, okay, we need to do it, something. Was it the the new in the new version of it? So the, the new version had uh, a few extra scenes put in. And oh, it's like a director's cut, is it? Yeah, yeah. So one of them, I think it was just before she gets they they get called into the room to have a look at the scars. Reagan actually runs down the stairs on all fours backwards, like bent up. Yeah, spider walks down the stairs and vomits blood at the bottom of the stairs. Oh yeah. Now, I went and saw this in the movies. In, in the cinemas on George Street in Sydney. And when when that part of the film come on, that was freaky enough. But what happened next, when they went into her room and they found out just how insanely cold it was, the pricks at the cinemas turned the aircon down. What? So all, all these people, so we're, we're all sitting in the cinema Freezing. shivering because <laughs> it was so cold. Like it was just, it was bitterly cold to the point where you could see your breath. Yeah, and that's nuts. oh, it was. We just got out of there, and you could see, you, you could see them behind, just Cut looking at us, going, "Yeah, we got gotcha. you." Yeah, 
Oh, I'm one of those people that still, I will wear a hoodie, like a thin hoodie, into the cinemas in summer because they are always so freaking cold in there. Uh, I, I could not believe it because it was quite pleasant until just before that scene and then you could feel it. You could feel it like this this gust of air come on you and then it just got icy cold. Oh, gosh. Was... They, um, they filmed these scenes in a refrigerated room from what I yep. know. And so yeah. it was just all. Imagine how sick you'd get just being in that room. Oh, it's like it's insane the way that freezing. they did it. Yeah, <laughs> like you weren't just pretending to be cold. You were actually yep. freaking freezing in there. Exactly. Always. Oh, not a, don't even want to think about it. But uh, that vomiting blood scene's friggin' brutal, though. Yes. I all about that because the version I have, yeah. I don't have the director's cut. So yeah, I've only seen it a handful this one's, of times. Yeah, this is uh, that's that's a good, a very good cut of the movie. Actually, it's it's uh, it's not it's it doesn't have a lot of difference to it, but um, there's there's certain parts which are which which are pretty good. But once he sees the help me and the talking in tongues or talking backwards, that's when he agrees to go and request the exorcism yes yeah 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 so he's got he's got all the all the details together all the evidence goes to request the exorcism but the only person that can do the exorcism is father Merritt. yes uh because in the catholic church you have to be um i don't know what the word is not ordained because obviously you are ordained you're a a priest um Mm. you have to like earn your certification to do exorcisms Yes. Um, sanctioned. You have to be sanctioned by the Catholic Church to do it. I learned that in watching the Exorcist TV show because Father O'Malley uh, had his rights to perform exorcism taken away from him. Oh, because of that little boy. That... Ugh. 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 I really like O'Malley through that whole series. He's so mm. good. He made Indeed. the show for me. <laughs> I couldn't get over that kid right at the start. Hey, watch oh. this. <laughs> Ugh. Oh, I just love the all uh, when they'd pull teeth out their own teeth, and I'm like, no, yeah. no, stop that, <laughs> stop doing that. Uh, it's the most frustrating thing because uh, I love my teeth. Yeah, <laughs> so, no, like, thank you. No, and just like oh, the, the crunching noise that teeth being pulled out makes. No, nah, no. Nah. All right, so Father Marin's he rocks up at the house, and yep. I love this scene straight into it. Well, he's at the bottom of the stairs and Reagan just bellows his name from upstairs and you hear like all these animal noises and it's just so, so good because Pazuzu knows Marin. Like they know yes. each other. They they um, recognise, um, they, they recognise each other, they know and they agree, like they, they acknowledge that they've, they've met and fought it out before yeah. uh, and it's kind of this... This thing where Pazuzu's like, he's he's up for the challenge of going against Merrin again. Yeah, he's like, let's dance. Yep. Um, so before they go in, Merrin obviously goes over the plan with Karis and says to Karis, basically, we're dealing with a demon and that demon's going to do whatever it wants and whatever it takes to confuse you and stop this exorcism. Um, and so he says to Merrin, it's especially... 
especially important is the warning to avoid conversations with a demon. We may ask what is relevant, 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 but anything beyond that is dangerous. He is a liar. The demon is a liar. He will lie to confuse us, but he will also mix lies with the truth to attack us. The attack is psychological, Damien, and powerful. Don't listen to him. Remember that. Do not listen. So Merrin is a veteran at this stuff. Mm-hmm. He knows what he's going in there to do. Um, so before the exorcism, Father Marin asks Chris, hey, does your daughter have a middle name? And the reason he asks that is because in the Middle Age or Ages, Catholics actually gave their kids quite a few middle names because they believed that it would stop Satan from finding out the child's real name and controlling one's soul. But Reagan doesn't have a middle name, so <laughs> that didn't really work Ooh. for her, did it? <laughs> no, I, did, I, I completely gleaned over that bit, yeah. Yeah. And I, I read I read that today and I was like, oh, wow. I was like, I was wondering why. Because sometimes you see like ancestors' names. You have, you know, they have like six names and you're like, why? Hmm. I always why? thought it was just to do with like generational thing. Yeah. I think it become it became that way eventually. Because hmm. I, have, I have a middle name. As do I. And my uncle still claims it. Or my, my dad's uncle, I should say. Still What's claims your middle it name? in his 90s. John. Oh, that's my dad's name. <laughs> my 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 great uncle still says, "Yeah, you're named after me, mate." Yeah, okay, oh. Uncle John. No worries, right. buddy. I'll 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 take it because he's a he's a great man. I'll, I'll well, then that's it. okay. Then <laughs> my <laughs> yes, middle name exactly. is Eliza. It's after Eliza. my great grandmother on my dad's side. Oh, I'm named really after both much. my great grandmothers. Yes. Very cool. Very cool. I mean, it's not very common, to be honest. <laughs> no, it's uh, it's nearly as uh, like my daughter's name's very, very out there, and we literally found it in a book, and it looked cool. What is it? It's Emilia. Oh, my sister's name is Emily. <laughs> oh. but that yeah, is beautiful. Em- I like that. Em- Emilia. Um, it's technically Hawaiian. Uh, there was where where she was born. There was a Hawaiian midwife there, and as soon as she called it, she called her Amalia. Oh, I love that name as well. She with this very strong, um, you know, Hawaiian accent. Oh, that's beautiful. And she like she she was, you know, native Hawaiian, not American Hawaiian, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. So she had this very strong accent. Uh, Again, lovely lady, and yeah, soon as soon as she come in, picked up them. You know, got her to stop crying, doing all this singing. Oh, little Amalia, it's all right. Oh, that's beautiful. Beautiful. Yeah. I don't know what. Uh, I'm all right, about. so. <laughs> no. <laughs> I mean, I was there, but. <laughs> Kicking my around. My dad passed out at my sister's birth. <laughs> <laughs> He'd worked a double shift, and then my mum went into labour and rocked up, and my dad was just as soon as she was born, lights went out. He yeah. was going to sleep. Just switch it off. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I saw, I saw the bit. Yep, done. We're oh, good. Done. All right, good. Came here to do what I was meant to do: be the dad, delivering the baby. Cool. Um, <laughs> so we're back. Let's get back to Reagan's bedroom and this really incredible exorcism scene because it really did set the standard for how exorcism scenes were filmed, produced, directed, how people mm. even um, played their roles in exorcism films from this day forward. And probably forever. Yes, and a very intense scene. So we we sort of get that 
intensity that comes through the screen of what's going on. The, you know, the, the priests are, are tired, they're sleep deprived, they're, you know, battered and bruised, more so emotionally than, than physically. Yeah. But um, we, we find the demon attacking. So obviously Merrin has been there before. Uh, he knows what he's doing, but the the demons start going after uh, Karis to to try and get across. Uh, and this is where the your mother sucks cocks in hell <laughs> comes out. I was like, that is the most horrible thing you could freaking say uh, to a priest about his mother. Yes, and the fact that you know it comes out in this horrific voice, but it's still coming yeah. out of a child. You know, and it's it's very much a uh, a, a very full on moment that, if I remember correctly, Karis is actually quite taken aback from it because he was holding on, trying to hold Reagan down, and you know, step back to the point where Merrin actually had to, you know, get involved and and refocusing into mm. into what was going on. Yeah, because um during this time. Not only is, you know, Reagan struggling physically with this incredible strength, we're also seeing flashes of her her head being replaced with um the like a ghoul from one of Karis's nightmares that we didn't touch on in the film because it's like that much of a impact in the rest of it. But yes. um it's it's really important that we also note that, you know, um, Karis has only just lost his mother. Like, he is trying mm-hmm. so hard to deal with this loss. And then he hears, um, you know, like, Reagan is speaking to him in her voice. Well, Pazuzu is speaking to Karis in his mother's voice. And I was yes. just like, oh, this is not on. <laughs> yeah, and is, isn't it something along the lines of, uh, like, the disappointment? Because he's was was he Italian or something? And she's like, she's talking about the disappointment in him, and he's not a good son. And yeah, I think it was, yeah. yeah. And I, this is I all just she said she, you're not a good son. Yeah, it's, it's um, a lot for him to deal with. Yeah, yeah, indeed. So Mary gets him out of the room. He's like, you've got to go get your shit together. Yeah, don't forget, we've also got the uh, the floating scene. Oh yeah, in there where yeah, where, where Reagan is still, yeah, and she levitates off the bed yeah. as well. Oh, that's and cool. it's that's another thing that was never done on film before, and yeah. is is quite a frightening moment that they're trying to 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 go through everything, and he goes Reagan lifting off the bed. It's just so crazy watching these types of um, innovative ways of filming particular scenes like this because, um, you know, we see how much of an influence has had on cinema, you know, over the last 50 years. And there'll be scenes where I will watch something and be like, oh, that's a little bit reminiscent of of The Exorcist, isn't it? Mm. And you think that's because it is one of the most influential films of all time. Indeed. There's a reason that, you know, people will say, oh, The Exorcist influenced my filmmaking. Yep. Indeed. 
Uh, it's just, it's one of those things that there were so many bits of it that were quite new. And one of the, the next scenes is the scene that scarred me. Yeah. So as an approximately eight-year-old, snuck into the lounge room at like one, two o'clock in the morning because oh, no. I'd, seen, I'd seen child's play. I know what, nothing scares me, you know. And started and and like, because my mother was completely against it. Uh, I think my dad might have been on night shift. He was in the fire brigade. And I snuck in and, you know, it was one of those things where perfect storm, right? Everyone's in bed. It's the middle of the night. So it's an old TV. It's not like I had headphones or anything. So I've got it turned on. I'm sitting, you know, half a foot away from the screen just so I could hear it with the sound down low. Not to mention there's a thunderstorm going on outside. Oh, no. So this perfect sort of scenario. And I was going all right up until the next bit when um, Karis comes back into the room and Meryn's dead. Yeah. But Reagan, it's before the Reagan was giggling section, It's when she's up on the edge of the bed, clawing at the sky sort of thing, and a flash of the Pazuzu statue comes up. Oh, yeah. She lets out this horrific howl. And that, like, Jesus Christ, I'm 40 now, and I've got goosebumps thinking about it. It it really, that was sort of like the point where I, I never saw the end of the movie at, at that time because I just freaked out and like the, the noise, the, the sound, the sound of this movie was something above and beyond as well. But that was enough for me to just, just leg it out of there and go and hide under my covers (laughs) or something. You know, (laughs) it was completely and utterly horrific at that stage. And uh, yeah, so we find out that after, after Karis has been, uh, sent out of the room by Meron. Meron has been. Well, we don't really know if it's been he's been killed or he's died, so yeah. of exhaustion because he is an elderly gentleman. Like he's yeah, he's been around for a while. He's, he's done this a lot. Probably just dropped dead. <laughs> yeah, and we see, um, we see Reagan or or Pazuzu as she is with the scarred up face, everything, yeah. sniggering on the end of the bed. Oh, that seems so creepy. Ugh. Yes. That giggle, just... like the cackle that comes out of her, is just hmm. from another earth, really. <laughs> it's it's done it's done so well and it's like a it's a really like I'm so proud of myself cackle. Yeah. And you know, that yeah, that she that the Pazuzu's finally defeated Baron. Yeah. And then, of course, uh, Karis does the only thing that he can think of doing. An ultimate sacrifice. An, an, an ultimate sacrifice. Karis grabs a hold of, uh, of Reagan and, for lack of a better phrase, beats the snot out of her to <laughs> get the demon to relinquish her soul and take over his. Yeah, because he does say, you know, come into me, take take me instead. Take me, take me, yeah. Um, 
to the point where it's getting it's getting quite violent mm. and then we hear that that break in the moment of Reagan's voice coming through calling for her mother yeah and we see Karis fighting with the demon himself yeah and he also all like he immediately begins to transform into this yes. like the possession that we saw take a matter of days over for Reagan. And I have a theory, right? So mm-hmm. pos- like demon possession is about breaking down the soul and breaking down that person's strength and making them vulnerable yep. so that you can keep their soul and take over their body. Now we've watched Karis basically be beaten like psychologically into that point over the last few days of that. His mother's died. He's dealing with guilt. He doesn't know where his faith is at. So I have a theory that Pazuzu was able to take over Karis so easily because he was already in that vulnerable state that he was trying to get Reagan into. And because Karis asked for it. And because he, yeah, gave permission yeah. as well. He, he gave the permission and he asked for it. But we see... Uh, we see the eyes change. They go a uh, a yellowy gold color, and you can see him fighting with himself. And then Karis throws himself out the window. Yeah, because there's this little slight moment where you can see that it's Karis and not Pazuzu, mm-hmm. and he's making that quick decision to to throw himself out the window. And yeah. um, obviously for a priest, he's going to go to hell for that. Yes. And take Pazuzu with him. Yeah, exactly. It's, uh, it's the ultimate sacrifice. And the, the priest that um, defines Karis on the stairs. Yeah, Father Dyer, old mate. That's it is. It is. It's all my diary again, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he, no, he of course goes and takes I think he's an actual priest I think he was an actual priest because I know that somebody out of this film who played a priest is an, was an actual priest at the time I think okay. it was Father Dyer because that was William O'Malley wasn't it uh, yeah. no. oh maybe it wasn't then no it's it's William O'Malley Reverend William James O'Malley oh okay yeah yeah. Which is what they so, named one of the exorcists in the TV show. Hmm. Oh, my God, it makes sense. Yeah, and he's still kicking along. He's 89 years old. Oh, bullshit. Yeah. So he was quite young when go. they filmed this. Yeah, so he was born, well, oh. born in 31, so he would have been in his 40s. So around the same age as my nan. My nan was yeah. 30. She Well, yeah, she was born in 30. She's still kicking yeah. it too, so I get it. <laughs> ah, nice. So, um, yeah, he takes uh, Karis's last confession, and Read then last rites. reads him his last rites, and then Karis dies. Yeah, it's just super sad. Hmm. But uh, he's he's made the ultimate sacrifice, and then yeah. a matter of weeks later, uh, we see Reagan again. She's still got some some scarring on her face. But it's healing, and she seems to be healing as well. And her and her mother move back to uh, LA. Yeah, they're leaving. They're in a car, and Father Dyer stops by again. What a pest! 
Um, and he's basically speaking to Chris and Chris says, you know, Reagan doesn't remember anything about what happened. She doesn't know anything about her possession or the exorcism, but, um, they get in the car to leave. And, uh, just before they do take off, she gets out of the car and hands Father Dyer a medallion that belonged to Father Karras. So Reagan had actually torn it from his body, um, before he died. And basically oh. kept it in her room all until she saw Father Dyer again. Okay. So I think that was like five or six weeks. That's... Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So she did know. And she does yes. remember. Hmm. Yeah. So that's, that's, that's not bad. That that explains a lot on the... TV show? The, the second... That, well, the second oh, episode of this movie that. as well. Uh, the sequels are... Uh, Nowhere near as good. No, I don't imagine they, they would be. They're like, they're, they're, don't, don't get me wrong, they're good, but they're nowhere near as good. Um, yeah. And Father Karras shows up in the third one. How? Uh, I haven't had it for a long time. I've I've lost it over the years, uh, but so I haven't I haven't watched it for a long time. But um, yeah, it's in a. It's not a. It's called The Exorcist 3, but there's a lot of things about a serial killer as well. Oh, okay. That's weird. It's it's a weird sort of thing, but you see it's in a mental institution and yeah. um, Karis is in the mental institution. You can see he's still possessed by Pazuzu. He's still got the glowing eyes. He's, Ooh. yeah, it's, um, it's, that's about all I remember to it. And, oh, one of the best scenes in film where a nun comes out and cut someone's head off with shears. That's oh, okay. I'm sold. I'm sold. Just out. Just you. You're looking down this hallway, and then and big noises and cheers across the head. Yeah, that's amazing. Okay, that's that's a death scene I want to see. I actually yeah, gotta... posted a, a meme on Instagram earlier, and it was like, um, it was something from Parks and Rec, and it was like a quote where it says, "Oh, something like that's gross. I love it." It's yeah. like whenever I see an awesome kill in a horror movie, because <laughs> I went and saw uh, Wrong Turn uh, a week or two ago, the reboot that they've done, mm-hmm. and I was literally sitting there like, show me the death. Because there's like a scene where a guy's head gets crushed between like a tree and a massive rolling log, and I literally turned uh. to my partner, Ned, and said, they're not going to show me the head. <laughs> and he was like, what is wrong with you? and then they showed me and i was like nice (laughs) done thank you five out of five yeah because i literally just want to see how they do make i know it's really gross but i like to see the how they interpret what the the impact would look like Mm. i don't know gore doesn't bother me as long as i don't see as long as i don't hear a bone snapping i'm fine yeah i think i can get that no bones. Mm-mm, mm-mm, mm-mm. Yeah, I've heard my own bones. I don't want to hear someone else's. Because oh, it's inside your body, so it's like amplified like a hundred. Yeah, yeah, my uh, my knee. There's still one 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 particular scene in Blade where Blake goes to kick him and he snaps down and snaps his knee backwards and it oh, still makes me sick to my stomach. Oh. Yeah. I have uh, degradation to the meniscus in my kneecaps and Ooh, yeah. it like the thought of that. Mm. No thanks. Mm-mm. 
Oh, makes me feel sick. Yep. <laughs> Is this Turns my stomach every time. <laughs> <laughs> but um, actually, well, one other thing I wanted to bring up about the uh, about the movie, and I think it's for for anyone that hasn't watched it, this is 100% something you have to do. And if you have watched it, go back and see if you pick these things up. But uh, the demon's face popping up in the background of the movie. What do you mean? So, well, there's, there's, one, there's, there's one part that they're in the kitchen and for a split second, you know, you know the, the white snarling face that you see with the black eyes yeah that will pop up in the range hood what and then there's another part in the house where it'll pop up in the background somewhere else and you, you see all over it like they'll walk into a room that doesn't have any lights on and that split second that they're in there before they flick the light on that face comes up no it is once once you pick it up it is absolutely amazing Okay, I'm gonna and, have to do a rewatch. Just to- yeah, like I said, because I because I sit there and watch it with full surround sound on. Um, I've got a, a nice surround sound system and black everything out, so I hear things whisp- whispering behind me and and stuff like that. But that that face popping up is just one of the subtle little things that this movie does to build tension, because wow. it is literally it is literally a split second flash where you'll see it and you're sort of like, what? Well, and like you can imagine when this first came out, there was no rewind function. Yeah. There was, there was none of that. It was just, you saw it and that was it. So you, your, your mind flashes and, and tries to pick up this little thing. And it just, it helps build the tension uh, with that. And then along with the sound and, you know, the whispers, the scratches, the creaking of the house, that god awful noise of you know Pazuzu calling out Marin, oh. and it's it's all just a it's one of the things that makes it my it's still my favorite horror movie, yeah, because it just it builds this tension up. It's a cinematic masterpiece. It is. I can't wait till my nieces are old enough for me to show them this movie. Yeah. The youngest would be like, ah, it was all right, because she says that about every movie ever. The seven year old would be traumatized. So. Yes, well, my my eldest is eight, and I think she got traumatized just by the cover. So that'll be that'll be a while because I just don't know when <laughs> what when's an appropriate time to breach it with them because like my aunt was just my aunt is only like eleven years older than me, so she didn't really mm-hmm. know. She was just like, "Oh, I'll just put it on. You're ten. That's fine." I was ten yeah. when I watched this, and yep. so with my nieces i'm just like uh i asked my sister if i could show the seven-year-old beetlejuice and she said it was too scary is it too yeah, scary my... uh, i don't know i'd say it's probably too sweary more than anything else oh. <laughs> no, that's, don't worry about that the amount, of, the amount of times my niece called me a little shit this week oh uh, yeah we have a swearing <laughs> is fine as long as it's in context rule so uh. Fair enough. Yeah. But oh, also, still at the... last night did the whole. It was fucking dad, and we we're like, "I'm sorry, what?" <laughs> <laughs> but she's four and on the spectrum See, and says whatever she wants. 
see, I'm I'm okay with that with my nieces and nephews, but mine, it's sort of like a, <laughs> I've, I've got, I, I've got to explain why that's not right, but I've yep. also got to walk away so I can burst out laughing. Oh yeah, my sister's the same. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I, I want them to swear at my house as long as like it's not no C bombs are allowed. They don't even mm-hmm. know that word, so. Um, as long as it's in context, because my dad is ex-military and he was just yeah. like, I can't tell you not to swear if I'm swearing. Mm. He's just like, that's, that's, that's hip- hypocrisy. I can't do that. <laughs> yeah. I've just got to like, make sure that we, we, we know we don't say that at school. Or say it in front of Nan. And now I'm the only yeah. grandchild who swears in front of my Nan. And I think she likes me more because of it. <laughs> I just say whatever. <laughs> Thanks, Nan. Oh, God. I, I could never have done that. <laughs> My 85-year-old man once said, um, shit, when I was about 10, and I nearly died laughing because my Nan swore. And, like, yep. she'll say things like bastard and what a bitch, but her saying yep. shit was, like, the peak of swearing for my Nan. I was like, oh, yep. Nan, <laughs> I'm telling Dad. <laughs> yeah, I'm dobbing. Yeah. No, I was terrified of my nan as a kid. She was mean. Um, uh, all right, so before we wrap up, what's the last horror movie you watched? Hmm. Good question. That is a very good question. Uh, I've... Oh, God. I couldn't even tell you. <laughs> I've... Well, I got... I, I got Amazon Prime. Like I'm watching this. <laughs> uh, I've got. It was probably the well. It was The Exorcist I watched the other day, uh, but prior to that, I've been watching a lot of things on Amazon Prime, which are uh, just ghost hunt stuff. Oh, cool! And you know, I I love history, and I love. Um, you know, the unknown and, and the question of, you know, what's going on? Why is this happening? What What's happening to someone? So I've been watching a few things like that and um, I couldn't even tell you what the last one, probably, probably Blind Manor. That was probably the oh, yeah. the last one I've, I've, I've gotten through that. Well, I haven't gotten all the way through it. I've started watching it because I've always found children frightening. Oh, yeah. Uh, the the um just the innocence of them is is scary and a lot of my mates take the piss out of me for it and especially too because you know one of my mates in particular taught my daughter to just stand there and go hello father no and yeah i kick her to the moon she's not your daughter anymore (laughs) (laughs) yeah and she'll she'll still she used to do it when she was four she still does it occasionally now she'll just She'll look at me and and turn her head and is like, "Get out! Not I'm not okay. doing this." So, um, yeah, Blind Manor with the two kids in it, and like, I I absolutely loved Hill House the the way that they did it, and again, the little things in the background in Blind Manor that they're doing the same sort of thing as well. But there's been a couple of moments where it's just been, you know what? It's eleven o'clock at night. That doll's moving. Nope, I'm, I'm done. I'm go going. Ahead. See you later. I'm going to go to bed and I'm going to watch My Little Pony before I go to sleep. <laughs> So amazing. <laughs> we'll um, just do something like that. 
I recently watched a movie called After Midnight. It's a bit of a like a monster movie, but it's yeah. more of a romance. So it's like a guy who, after 10 years, his partner basically gets up and leaves one day, leaves a note saying, I've gone out. And after she leaves, um, every night a monster tries to get into their house. Mm-hmm. And he's kind of not sure if she's the monster, if the monster's real. And so it's like all about this monster coming every night after midnight. And yeah, it's, uh, you don't really see a lot of the monster, about three minutes all up, if that. But it's a cool monster. Um, spoiler alert, everyone. I just ruined that, didn't I? No, he's not sure. Tr- no, don't worry. Don't yeah. worry. It's good. There's definitely a monster. Uh, it has Henry Zabrowski from last podcast on the left on it, so that's why I watched it. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. Cool. I was like, I love Henry. <laughs> well, um, thank you for oh, very cool. to speak about No, the... thank you for the invite. The Exorcist. Um, <laughs> mm. Where can we find you and your podcast on social media? Uh, so I've got my main social media is at Snoogavision over on Twitch. Uh, sorry, on Twitter. I used to stream under the same thing over on Twitch, but kind of pulled back um, from streaming to Twitch of, of late. Uh, the podcast is under at the HXP pod on Twitter and our YouTube channels, the Aussie Gamers Experience. Awesome. Yeah, we do a bit of everything over there. You record your podcast live on there. Yes, we do now. First one went up the other night. <laughs> so everyone's and, uh, every definitely. every two weeks. Yeah, every two weeks. We're on we're on Spotify and all that as well. Uh, but uh, yeah, YouTube's the the new thing we're going to kick on and have a bit of fun with for now. Awesome. See how it goes. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you to my wonderful guest. Please check Pat and the Aussie Gamers Experience podcast out in all places mentioned. Thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed this episode and you like help support the podcast, please leave a lading a lading and review, a rating and review. To catch all the latest from me, you can follow the podcast on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at TGIF Pod. You've been listening to TGIF. See you next Friday.